2 Corinthians 7, 5 through 16. Also known as 2 Corinthians 7, 5 through the end of the chapter. Let's pray and read the word of the Lord. Father, help us to have ears to hear. Father, as we look at this and we understand the urgency of our day, the seriousness of ministering, and yet, Father, may we take encouragement as the Apostle Paul did. And that, Father, understanding that you are the comforter, the God of all comfort. Father, <clears throat> each of us in this room are dealing with different things. And yet the God of all comfort will not forsake us and lo is with us to the end of the age. Help us, Father. Help us to see that there is anguish and affliction. But, Father, help us to understand that you have already overcome. To your glory and praise. Amen. Verse 5. For when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. and We were afflicted on every side, conflicts without and fears within. But God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you. As he reported to us, your longing and your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance, so that you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you. That vindication, what vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong. In everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in the matter. So, although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the offended, the offender, not for the sake of the one offended, but that your earnestness on our behalf might be made known to you in the sight of God. For this reason, we have been comforted. And besides our comfort, we rejoice even more, even much more, for the joy of Titus, because the Spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I was not put to shame. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, so also our boasting before Titus proved to be the truth. His affection abounds all the more toward you as he remembers the obedience of you all and how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice that in everything I have confidence in you. What we're looking at is Paul's continuation of what he started in chapter 2, verse 13. Okay, chapter 2, verse 14, he begins to deal with ministry. This is what I do, 14 through uh, 7, 4. So he's listed all of that out. We looked at this in depth last week. So what we're looking at is the Apostle Paul had wrote a letter 
to the Corinthians after a visit. He had wrote 1 Corinthians, and it was obvious they had a serious problem. If you go read 1 Corinthians, just a cursory reading of it, you see a church that was in chaos. So he had written 1 Corinthians to try to straighten it out. He had gone back kind of in a surprise visit and was confronted by false teachers. And we'll deal with that more in, in the future. But he was confronted by these false teachers and the church as a whole did nothing to defend the Apostle Paul. Nothing. So he left... And he wrote a letter called the severe letter or the sorrowful letter. He had sent it by Titus while he was still in Ephesus. Titus had taken the letter back to the Corinthians. And this and, and I it's, we don't have that letter. All right. But I do have first Corinthians and first Corinthians is a dandy. I cannot imagine a pastor in Corinth standing up and saying, I've. Got a letter from our pastor who founded us. Let me read it to you. Okay, because gee, many crickets. It's, it's blistering. All right, if 1 Corinthians, inspired by God, is blistering, what was the sorrowful letter? So when Paul had sent Titus with this letter, he didn't know how they were going to respond. I mean, how are they going to respond when they see Titus? Because they know Titus is a representative of Paul. I mean, what would their response be? And so Paul is sort of in anguish over this. And he started talking about this all the way back in chapter 2 up until verse 13. Then he shifted. Verse 14 through 7, 4, he deals with ministry. This is what I do. This is what we have been called to do. All right. Then he picks it up again in verse 5. And he says, I need to explain some things to you. And he's just picking up where he left off in chapter two. All right. And as he picks that up, you have to understand something. When you are in the ministry, which means if you are saved. All right. You have these things that every minister has. You know what it's called? Relationships. Okay. And some of them are just Jim Dandies. Okay? Some of them are awesome. Some of them are not. But you can't be a minister of Jesus Christ and not have to deal with people. Okay? Because you will have the spiritual infants, you will have the spiritual young men, and you will have the spiritual fathers. You have to deal with all of them. Okay, you will have the weak, you will have the faint hearted. You have to deal with all of them. All right. And one of the things that Paul knew, one of the things that you and I will learn is you don't get to pick which ones. At any given instant, you may have to deal with all of them all at once. All right. And I I need to make this specific. If you are a minister, it isn't that the pastor has to deal with them or that the elders deal with them or that the deacons deal with them, though they will. But if you are a Christian, you will have to deal with them. In this text, this these verses from chapter five or verse five to into the chapter seven, he uses the word comforted 
or a form of it six times. But he also uses the word joy or a form of that five times in these verses. All right. And he makes a statement here. He says the God who comforts the depressed. Okay. And that's, and, and we looked at this last week. All right. The depressed are those who are just emotionally overwhelmed. You're not going to believe this. I'll state it again. There are some in the body of Christ who are there, I think, just to suck the life out of you. They believe that that's their gift. Okay. It's like uh, Paul told Timothy, always learning (laughs) for no apparent reason. (laughs) That's my paraphrase. Because they don't. It's, it's like this. We are called to walk by faith. One of the things that I've learned the hard way is, I can't make you have my faith. Alright? But you know what's really cool? You can't make me have your faith. And there's times that I'm thankful for that. I can't make my kids have my faith. Your faith is going to be based on your intake of information and the trials and the tribulations that this world throws at you. Okay? Those trials and tribulations can, you're not going to believe this, can actually come from the saints. I know, you're shocked. Saints can cause tribulation? You have no idea. (laughs) Okay? Some saints should be called tsunami. (laughs) they're like one wave after another no sorry i shouldn't say that but it's true anyway he says here that by the coming of titus is part of what god did to comfort him because paul was in anguish paul was heartbroken okay but he says when titus came to me just the fact that he had survived the travel and being with the Corinthians and that he was back, that was very encouraging. Okay, it, Traveling at the time of the writing of the New Testament isn't like traveling today. You never knew when it was going to go south on you. Right? So, he's encouraged. His sorrow has been lifted. Now, I want you to understand something very important. Understand that the false teachers are still at the church in Corinth. All right? That ain't what he was being comforted by. Okay? If you look at this letter and you, and you read it in its wholeness, you'll see that in chapter 10, 11, 12, and 13, he's still dealing with them. With the false. All right? And even... At the end of the chapter 13, he points to the people of the church in Corinth, to the congregation. And he understands that where some of them stood, he's not convinced that they're believers. That'll get you in trouble in a church. When you start dealing with people on a relationship and you try to look them in the eye and say, I ain't convinced you're saved. Okay, I mean, that there stirred up. Let me tell you, buddy. Okay, uh, but there, we'll judge not less. Read your Bible, please. 
I've read it. I know what it says. I don't want anybody standing in front of Jesus Christ and him saying, I never knew you. And them look over and says, well, he never challenged me. That ain't going to be on my head. All right. So he even in this letter at the conclusion of chapter 13, he says they need to examine themselves to see if they are of the faith. Okay. Listen, I know people, I know people right now who know the Bible better than I will ever know it. And I know emphatically that they are not saved. But they know what the book says. But it's obvious it has no impact whatsoever on their life. All right. He received his report from Titus. And he understood that a majority of them had affirmed, affirmed the Apostle Paul. And that brought him great joy. Okay. So now what we're dealing with right here is a very personal part of the Apostle Paul. But it is dealing with what I call comfort and sorrow. Or you can look at it as the restoration of a broken relationship. Titus, his coming brought joy. But his... Report brought joy. All right. Listen, there are people in ministry. All right. That you may have some involvement with. If not, I, I pray that someday you run into a few. That is a great joy to be with. They are co-laborers. All right. They have the same mindset. And even if I'm not with them, I have multiples in my life right now. And some of them are not in this church. And they are a great joy when I see them. They are a great joy when I talk to them. It, 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 uh, I think about uh, a couple of guys that I know in Russia that I've got an opportunity to Skype with. And just, just to hear their voices... It's just like, that is a co-laborer. They're great. I have some in America, too. It's not, they're all, not just all Russian. Or the, except for the guy that I lubricate the wheels. But anyway, uh, <laughs> it's that mechanic thing. You just can't get away from some of it. Um, but it, it, this is the kind of stuff. There are those saints that it's a joy just to be in their presence. Because you know they are like-minded. Their passion is equal. Is equal. Titus is back. The fellowship is back. The co-laborer is there. And yet he says that's even more. He says in verse 6, God who comforts the depressed. He comforted Paul's depression by the coming of Titus. And Titus report. Okay, this word depressed, we use it a lot. In, it's not biblical what we use. Um, a lot of people try to say, well, this means spiritually humble. Okay, well, actually, if you look at it in the original language, it literally means spiritually humiliated. Okay, which is a big difference. Um, you could call it down and out. 
You could call it uh, lowly. Um, it, it, is, it is those people that you can gather compassion for them just because of their condition. I have a dealing that I'm dealing with right now with a, a saint of God. Um, and, and I don't want to get into all the details on it, but he is in lowly condition. But it is a spiritual humiliation is what has taken place. Um, you see this word used in uh, the letter to the Romans, chapter 12, verse 16. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly is the term that he uses here. And, and it's, it's those people. We have a bad habit as Christians to want to associate with the lofty. Okay, uh, I deal with pastors and church leaders, and it's funny because they're always wanting to drop names. You know, I went to such and such as church, or I did such and such as thing, and I did. And you know what? So what? <laughs> I mean, really? Uh, I, I, that what happened to the lowly? Because there are a lot of saints out there right now that are fighting a battle that you will never hear a book written by them. And there's times in ministry that you get into the Elijah thing. Lord, I'm the only one. God says, don't make me come down there. Um, and, and yet I watch this on a regular basis because there's times in ministry, there's a reason the Apostle Paul calls it a war or warfare or battles. Okay, Too many of us have bought into this. Well, I'm saved now and I'm going to bed of roses and I'm going to have everything I touch is going to turn to gold. And it's just going to be the Midas thing. It's going to be so wonderful. And I got news for you. Once you step into the arena, duck. You can either be a man of prayer or you can be driven to your knees. you got two choices. But he says here, when I think about these emotionally downcast, this, the Apostle Paul, when he sent the severe letter with Titus, was in the proverbial pits. Chapter 10, he talks about, and my daily concern for all of the churches. Why? Because he knows their targets. The, and, and listen, I have an unrelenting enemy. He isn't going to stop. Until Christ stands on the Mount of Olives, this thing's going on. And you and I are in part of it now in the quote-unquote church age. But he says here, God comforts. And one of his attributes of God's attributes is that he comforts depressed people. People who are down and out. That is his nature. I would suggest that if you are depressed, the best place to go to get the greatest comfort and the wisest comfort is God. And you know what? You may be surprised. He may throw Titus right in the middle of your lap with a great report. He's already mentioned this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, that he is the God of all comfort. Do you understand what all comfort means? What's lacking? 
And even if you're in the ministry and you have tears and anguish going on, where do you get your comfort from? And you know what? There's always a saint that will step up and all of a sudden you're just like, wow, look, a co-laborer. At this time in Paul's life, he was in deep grief. He was overwhelmed by sorrow. And yet at the same time, he was overwhelmed by divine comfort. Do you ever think about that? I tried to make this as clear as possible. If you're saved, then you're a minister. Okay, don't think more highly of yourself. It just means you're a servant. That's it. You're a servant. But do you understand that you are a minister? You are a servant of a God of comfort. Have you ever run into those Christians that don't know that? Huh? Your foreheads are all wrinkled up all the time and I'm serving Jesus and this is awful. And I'm sitting there going, dude, really? Well, you don't understand. You're right. I serve the God of all comfort. To get God's comfort. How do I get it? Well, (laughs) this is going to seem simple, but you wouldn't believe how complex it is. First of all, You need to be his. I mean, that's imperative. I know a lot of people talking about heaven. They ain't going. All right. Second of all, you need to know you need it. Then you get the God of all comfort and you receive his comfort. First of all, you got to be his. Second of all, you need to know you need to be comforted. You know, when I think about God, I, I, you know, I love history. Okay, if you love history, then you got into, you, you know, a lot of the polytheistic gods, whether it's the Greek deities or the Roman deities or, you know, the Far East or Near East, whatever. They always had these gods. But one of the things that is always amazing to me is that in all of these false religions, Everybody's trying to make God happy. They're trying to appease God. I don't care what it is. They all are. Okay? Our God is not a God to be appeased. All right? He is a God who comforts. He, if you read his books, he is a God who wants to comfort. He is a God who does comfort. And it's not a matter of me going and making God mad. You know, oh, I know it kind of made him mad. Let me try to make it up to him and then I can get some comfort. That ain't the way he works. Paul is in the pit and is comforted by God through the arrival of Titus. The coming of Titus. The word there is parousia. You know what it means? His presence. His presence, just the presence of Titus. I have had opportunity to be involved with several different ministries or groups of men who are as passionate about the Word of God as I am. They're scattered around the United States. Um, But I've had the privilege, and it's like as soon as I show up there... (coughs) It's like, ah, 
Okay, and they may be dealing with, you know, I, I know one was dealing with cancer for a stretch there. And yet just to be together was to be in each other's presence was just enough to say, right on, right on, right on. Okay, I know that doesn't sound real spiritual, but that's how I felt. Okay, I remember going to a precious saint's funeral. And this man had been faithful to the exposition of the word for uh, 60 some odd years. He had preached on every continent except Antarctica. And he figured that the penguins could take care of themselves. And it was his funeral. And it was one of the most glorious things that I've ever been at. And I mean, there were some big names there. And you just, you sit there and his sons came up and we hugged. His widow was there and we hugged and they were so happy that I was there and I was so happy to be there. And I'm sitting there going, and we're all happy because he's dead? What is up with this? But then we dawned on us that well done, true and faithful service is ringing in his ears. Just... The presence of Titus. Why? It's like-minded. He was a co-laborer. It would have been nice. I mean, just his presence would have said, you know what? He's safe. The dangers of just trying to travel. The dangers of what was the Corinthian church going to do to him when they seen him? Okay, but... The report accentuated it. See, Titus could have come back and said, Paul, they are still furious with you. And so now you have two grieving pastors. I mean, that's what you got. We're both co-laborers. But the report was such that the joy increased. Because his arrival showed one of the church's response, but then his report showed the other side of the response. As the saints, listen, I love every one of you, but some of you are trouble. You cause me trouble. You cause me sleepless nights. You cause me to cry in my prayers sometimes. Sorry. I know you didn't think it was possible, but when you are dealing with human relationships, guess what? You're going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble. How do we restore the joy? How do we get that back? Verse 7. The saint's joy. Rejoice more, he says. Look at this. Not only by his coming, but also by the comfort by with, with which he com- was comforted in you. You know what that means? Titus, taking the severe letter, not understanding how they would respond to it, giving them the severe letter, which, you know, for those of you who may not understand that, it was a rebuke. He was confronting them. He wasn't saying, hey, the next time I'm in town, you want to do fish? He was saying, I sent you one letter and you knuckleheads didn't get it. So I'm sending you another letter because of the way I was treated the last time I was in your church. 
And it says that that church comforted Titus. Now listen, this is the very church that broke Paul's heart. He rejoiced more. You know, it's, I hear this spoken of in different places, but it's one of those that I call the perseverance of the saints. There are saints that, um, if you look at First Thessalonians, you'll see that there are the faint-hearted and the weak and all these others that you have to deal with. And there are times when you're dealing in ministry with people that you deal with the same thing over and over and over and over. Okay? And sometimes it's the same individual. All right? You know, I've been in the ministry long enough that I watch this church. We grow numerically. And what happens is, is you've got people who all of a sudden are all jacked up. We want Jesus and I like what you're doing and all the rest of it. But if you watch them, they will start making alliances. But they're always out there on the edge. And all of a sudden one day, I say something. I just don't agree with that. And sure enough, they want to grab their alliance and let's blow the church up. And they usually do. They get their little alliances. They tell me how a bad man I am. And they all run off and say, see, he's wrong. All right. But do you have a core of people in this church that we've been together for an awful long time? All right. An awful long time. And when we've been there, they're like, no, I'm not going to let the swaying happen because that's what happens. You get new people in and they're yes, yes, yes. I want this until you say something or, you know, I I had a group that left just been a number of years ago because kind of what I call the ringleaders were walking downtown Castle Rock down there off of Perry. And I was driving through town and I didn't wave at them. Well, I'm just not a strong multitasker. All right. But that was enough to start the church. And I had a group. I don't know how many people left because, well, he just didn't wave. I hear people tell me that I'm unapproachable, especially if you don't show up. I I don't understand that stuff. Okay, but that's what relationships are. Each and every one of us has those relationships. Sometimes they're with our spouses. Sometimes it's with our kids. Sometimes it's with other saints. It's always there. It's always there. Paul is being shown that a majority in the church in Corinth were persevering. The perseverance of the saints. They were pressing on. They were staying loyal to the call. They were staying loyal to the king. That's amazing stuff. They understood the messenger who walked and how Titus was treated was very important. They knew that Titus had come as a representative of the Apostle Paul who was a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they treated him such. Titus was comforted because see, Titus has the same concerns as the apostle Paul, the same anxiety, 
the same fears. And yet, in their presence, he was comforted. And you know, he's still delivering the sorrowful letter. I mean, I ain't coming here to blow sunshine at you. Wait till you read this. And yet, the Corinthians had given joy to Titus. By giving the joy to Titus when he returned to the Apostle Paul, he passed it on. They had the right response to the letter. They had a right response to the visit of Titus. And you know what? The fears that they had were not realized. There was still a group in that church who said, you're right. Let me ask you a question. Someone confronts your rebellion. What's your first response? Well, he don't know what he's talking about. That wasn't the Corinthians response. Look what he did. Verse seven. He was comforted in you as he reported to us. Now, look at this. You're longing your mourning, and your zeal. But you know what's key to that? What was it for? It was for Paul. It was for Paul. Now listen, what joy is Paul getting to get out of that? Think about it. These people... When he visited them, he was confronted by a false teacher and no one stood to defend him. And now all of a sudden he finds out from Titus that they have a longing, a mourning and a zeal for him. Listen, this this. This isn't organizational systems of the church. This isn't the methods of the church. This isn't the models for the church. This isn't even the theology for the church. This is a relationship between believers and the Apostle Paul. These three are connected to the person. You have a longing for Paul. You have a mourning for what happened to Paul. You have a zeal for Paul. These caused me to rejoice, Paul said, greatly. These caused me to rejoice more than even the return of Titus. They were being loyal to Paul. They were loyal to what the Apostle Paul was doing. You know what? When I think about it, faithfulness or loyalty, whichever one you want to call it. Um, let's be realistic. Okay? That is completely abstract today. Isn't it? I mean, people have no idea what that is. Listen, if you don't like a church in Castle Rock, there are 56 new ones. You can go to a different church Every Sunday for over a year. Alright? And you don't have to be faithful to any of them. You don't have to be loyal to anything. I can just keep doing it. You just don't see it. You don't see individual loyalty. Look at, look at families today. 
How many families have blowed up and there's just no faithfulness? There's no loyalty to the family. Our society has no loyalty. There isn't. It's a non-existent entity. Loyalty has been lost in our culture. And if you look at it, is it in the church? Let me ask you a question. How many saints right now can you say, I have a longing for? Okay. How many? How many of you can say, I have a longing to be in church? That's hard. Why? It's not, it's so, it is so abstract to our culture. It's like, what? I have, I have been blessed that one of the men who had an early impact in my life was one who had a longing and mourning and a zeal for the body of Christ. And I'll tell you what, I watched him and his family go through some stupid stuff in the church and he wasn't budging. Nope. God put me here. I am loyal to this fellowship. I will not give in. And I never seen anything like it. Uh, he, he wasn't this great Bible expositor or preacher with power and fury from heaven. But he was a saint that was absolutely loyal and faithful to where God had put him. I would say loyalty is the single greatest virtue in any relationship. I don't care what the relationship is. It can be husband, wife. Uh, it can be the family, uh, the body of Christ. And when that loyalty, that faithfulness is there, there's joy. Great joy. Now, I want to show you these three words. Longing. The word longing... It's, it's really kind of simple. Longing is more than, oh, geez, pining away. Uh, longing means I want to see you. I want to hear you. I want to be together with you. Now think about this. This is a church that broke this man's heart. And he says, he gets this amazing news. Remember, he didn't want to go back there again. I don't want to come back there again. There was, there was so much sorrow in that relationship. You know, uh, I don't want no more sorrow. I don't want to deal with them anymore. I would prefer to be separate from you because then there's no pain. You ever thought about that? And then, you know what? I know every one of you have people in your lives right now. You're, yep, I'm in. I'll just stay separate of that. And it won't be no pain and yet paul finds out that they have a longing to be with him they have a longing to see him they have a longing to sit under his teaching again to hear him again they want it restored listen first corinthians that letter is brutal and then you see the visit that he had and he was confronted by a false teacher and nobody even stood up to defend him there's a longing now for fellowship it's mutual. 
Why? When you have that longing and it's mutual, what is the bounds of the benefits? There isn't any. You, there's no boundary on that benefit anymore. But secondly, you see there, mourning. Remember chapter 2, verse 4? He said that he wrote that sorrowful letter with tears and anguish. Okay, literally, when I think about that, I think about this parchment paper that he's writing on with this ancient ink. And if the tears hit it, you're going to see where it hit it. Okay, now, I don't know what the letter said, but if it had anguish and tears in the person writing it, I'm betting there was anguish and tears in the words. He cried when he wrote that letter. And that letter, when they read it, would have spoke it. The reading would have screamed the anguish and the heartache of the Apostle Paul. They would have read that letter. It would have been read to the congregation. And the whole of the hearers would have felt the heart of a man in deep sorrow and grief because of what they had done. But the Corinthians at the arrival of Titus and seeing Titus and receiving this letter, they were sorrowful for what they had done. Think about that for a second. Have you ever caused a saint pain? Have you ever mourned over it? Or just send them on their way? They understood what they had done has called pain to a faithful leader, to a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. And by mourning over what they had done, they took that same saint and caused him great joy because they knew what they did was wrong. They had an intense longing. Okay, that yearning, that's the positive. But they had the mourning because they were mourning over everything they had done to violate the relationship. They had a regret for mistreating this man of God that God had sent to them. They had a regret for not confronting the false teacher. They had a regret that... The grief that they had caused this precious saint of God. They had a regret that they knew they had added to this servant's grief. Listen, ministry brings grief. You don't need saints helping. Paul had pain in just what he was doing. And they caused him not to minister effectively. Remember, a door was open for the gospel in Troas, but I had no peace in my spirit. So I went on to Macedonia. And you know who caused that? The Corinthians. The Corinthians. So they have a longing. They have a mourning. That's faithfulness. But they also had a zeal. Zeal is an amazing word. Um. I hope I can articulate this. I, I, I had a blast with it myself, but then I tried to realize that how do I share this? Okay. Zeal. When I see the word zeal, um, 
There's always two sides. Okay? You can take, I have a coin. It's a zeal coin. Okay? But both sides are equally as strong. Okay? And they're in their emotions. They deal with our emotions. Zeal has this overwhelming love. Also has this overwhelming hatred. Okay? It's like, it has this massive peace tied directly to massive anger. Okay? It, it, when I think of the word zeal, it, it, it has these massively strong feelings and emotions. All right? Listen, let me see if I can explain it to you. If you have a love for someone that is zealous, I have a zeal in this love. Okay? You hate Anything that brings harm to that person. I don't care what it is. All right. So it combines this overwhelming love with this overwhelming hatred. See, zeal draws out of yourself an overwhelming affection, but an overwhelming protection. Okay, and it's no longer you. You're not concerned about you anymore. It is the individual, the other person. I will try to give you a picture of this. In the book of Psalms, chapter 69. This is King David speaking of the tabernacle. Verse 9, he says, For the zeal for your house has consumed me and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Okay. When David looked at the at the tabernacle, he was consumed with his zeal for it. Okay. David took this and was eaten up by it. The house of the Lord. Okay. That is that one side. That is that love and affection. But to those who would defile the tabernacle, he was hostile to them. A hatred, a harm, an offense. Now then, well, yeah, but no, 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 no. Think about John chapter 2. Jesus' first trip as an adult into Jerusalem. He takes the cords. He braids them together into a whip. And what does he do? You have turned my father's house into a den of robbers. And he turns the tables over. You know what he's doing while he's turning the tables over and running the money changers and the false teachers and he's running those who are trying to sell flawed sacrifices at a great markup so that they can make business? You know what he's saying? Psalm 69, 9. The zeal for my father's house consumes me. The zeal for your house, Lord, is eating me up. See, that's loyalty. 
That's, that's faithfulness. And it goes to the individual and it hates everything that affects negatively that person who is the object of my love. Hates it. Because of the overwhelming love I have. Anything that I love that much, I hate equally that would affect it negatively. That's zeal. See, I guess if you wanted to use the word loyalty, loyalty sticks up for who it is loyal to. The church in Corinth had not stuck up for the Apostle Paul. They were not faithful to the Apostle Paul on his surprise visit. The false had come into the church. They were undercutting Paul. And there were some in the church who were buying into it. This is disloyalty. This is unfaithfulness. Okay? They should have lined up and run to his defense. They knew who he was. They knew what he did. They knew what the Apostle Paul was about. And they said nothing. They were unfaithful to the Apostle Paul. See, anytime you get into any depth in a relationship, there had better be some faithfulness and loyalty. Faithfulness and loyalty are the same thing, pretty much. And if it's not there, guess what? Disaster's but a heartbeat away. And you know what? When I look at this, when I, I, I understand what this zeal is, I understand the Apostle Paul because true Zeal for the people means that there's sometimes you've just got to say what needs to be said. And you don't sugarcoat it. You don't try to make it go down with a teaspoon of sugar or anything like that. You just boldly proclaim it. And because of the zeal of the relationship, there's no problem. It's important in our relationships. There's sometimes you have to confront. No, that's wrong. And I've done it before. We will all have to do it at some point in time. But when there is a longing to be together, when there is a mourning over any offense that we have committed to each other, and there's a zeal in that relationship, there will be overwhelming joy. There will be times of sorrow. There will be times, you're not going to believe this. There's going to be times when you're going to hurt me. But I have a zeal for every one of you. I have a longing for every one of you. You're not going to believe this. I know, I'm glad you're all sitting down. There's times I'm going to hurt you. And I'll just smile at you and say, get over it. No. But these these are things that you need to understand. When you step into the ministry, this you're dealing with relationships. And yet there will be overwhelming joy when there's a zeal between the two. I look at the body of Christ today and right now I have nothing on this planet that I love more. I can honestly say that. Well, but your wife, your kids, your... Nope. It's the incarnation of Jesus Christ. 
it's got my loyalty. And let me tell you something. <laughs> Church is bumpy. I had a guy ask me, he says, you let sinners in your church? And I was like, what? And I said, well, let me tell you something. If you've arrived, you don't need church. <laughs> I was like, what? all right, is that a joke? Please tell me that's a joke. Because that ain't a joke. We need to sit down and talk. All right? Listen, I ain't perfect. And you all know it. No. <laughs> but you know what? Neither are you. Because if you were perfect, you wouldn't be here. All right? So, now that we've got that out of the way, are we going to walk together? Listen, I got news for you. There's only one head of the church. I ain't him. I want to walk with you. I want side by side. I don't want people to have my back. I don't need you behind me. I want you side by side. That's what the Apostle Paul was crying for the Corinthians. You come lacking in no gifts. You are powerful. Act like it. That's why the Corinthians were ripping his heart out. And then he finds out, no, they have a longing for me. They want to be with me. They want to hear me. They want to see me. They are sorry for the way they treated me the last time I was there. And they have a zeal for me. This is the Apostle Paul, the Apostle to the Gentiles. I mean, he preached all day. A kid falls out a window and dies. He raises him from the dead and says, I'm not done. This ain't your normal preacher. If you want to sit in a window while I go long length, sit on that side. Please understand. He didn't act like, hey, I'm the apostle. Get in line. He never did that. He was loyal to the body of Christ. That's why he, he could list all of these tribulations that he had been through and his daily concern for all the churches. Paul was encouraged even more. Paul was comforted in his sorrow. Now, I'm going to close this because I want you to think about something for just a second. It's, it's implied in this text. It's not stated in this text. Okay? If you take longing... Mourning and zeal. If you do the opposite, what do you have? Instead of longing to be with those people, I want to be left alone. I hurt somebody, ah, they'll get over it. Zeal? you got to be kidding me. Why would I even tolerate those people? What do you have? Can you tell me what that benefit would bring? And yet, there are so many in the body of Christ who are doing that today. They live in a state of anguish, sorrow, and grief. And they share 
they share. You know what? Very possibly they're saved. But let me tell you something. Noble vessel or ignoble vessel? Wood, hay, or stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stone? It's that simple. You can just take the opposite of it, and I can look at, I know people right now that have been in my life that I can say they are living completely opposite of those three. And yet those three took a broken relationship and brought comfort by an awesome God through a young man, Titus, who says, I'll take that letter. Yahoo. Listen, it's an ongoing battle. If you read the greatest preacher, human preacher that has ever walked this planet is the Apostle Paul. Read his very last letter. This, there is no man that I believe has had a greater impact on the body of Christ than the Apostle Paul. Okay? But I hang out with Gentiles. Sorry. His last letter. At my defense... No one stood with me, but Christ was there. Brothers and sisters, that's ministry. That's ministry. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the moisture. But Lord, I thank you for my brother Paul. And Father, I thank you. I thank you that he had a longing for your church. Father, that he had a mourning for your church. And he had a zeal for your church. Everything I see of this man proves that. Father, beginning with me and all who will ever hear this. May we all have a longing for your precious bride, your church. May we have mourning for our ill treatment of her. And Father, may we have a zeal, a love for her second to nothing. But Father, a hatred for any defilement. To your glory and praise, in Christ's name, amen.